Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, I'd like to invite you to turn back to the book of Proverbs. We're going to start Proverbs chapter 3 today. You know, today is going to be uh, a very practical message for all of us. I think that if you're, if you're going through something in your own life, and I know, you know, many of you come to this church and uh, you have issues that you're trying to work through and you recognize that the only way you're going to get past them is to put God in your life. And, uh, you know, you've been down the road of all the different areas that haven't worked for you. And uh, you come to the place in your life where you, <clears throat> you now know that if you don't make the spiritual change, it isn't ever going to, it isn't going to happen. And I think today's message out of the book of Proverbs will be a, a, a very good help to you. I think it'll help clarify some things, not only that things that you need to do, but you'll have a better understanding of why we do the things that we do the, the way that we do it. If you're working with somebody, uh, I, I think this will be tremendous insight for those folks that are in the people ministry, you know, that uh, again, we get a little closer defining of, of what, uh, why we do what we do and, and, and help understand a little better the process of, of people that you work with uh, and help them. Uh, you know, I think it'll just be a real benefit. Uh, this is why I love Proverbs. Proverbs, without a doubt, is, is uh, got to have some of the greatest practical material in it that you're ever going to find. It really does. There's a lot of good preaching material in it, a lot of things you can just really preach and preach uh, well, you know, that come out of the book. But fundamentally, the book is a book about the issues of life. It shows us uh, really God's mind in a great way of why things are the way they are and uh, how we uh, can uh, change those things in our lives and get the victory that uh, so eludes us. You know, we have a mission tonight. And uh, <clears throat> for those of you that <clears throat> go down to the mission or have been to the mission, you know that their favorite song down there that we sing is Victory in Jesus. Uh, you can sing a, 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 any song you want, but when you turn to that one and you sing it, they sing it. And I don't know if you've ever paid attention to that or noticed that, but... Uh, I've often thought to myself, you know, why that song is so, uh, so uh, important to them. And it's simply because uh, that's what they all desire. They all have lost the fight of life. And to them, the thought of victory in Jesus is probably the single hope and desire that they have. And so that song means something to them, you know, uh, because they want that victory. They probably, many of them, have never had a victory in anything spiritually in their life. And, uh, you know, they go to that place and people come down and, and try to give them the Bible and they know, uh, you know, many of them have addictions that are beyond belief and, and many of them don't make it. But it's obvious that if you pay attention that the songs that they sing the loudest are usually the ones that they desire the most and that is victory in Jesus. And yet that's true of you and me because the job of, uh, the job of a a Christian is to get to that point in your life where you do have victory in Jesus. And we're going to talk about a lot of practical things today. I think that as we get farther in the book of Proverbs, I, I want to try to balance it all out. You know, I, want to, I, I told you, I want to give you some doctrinal things. I want, you, I want you to come away from this book getting as much as humanly possible as I can give you. I want you to see the doctrinal side of things, how it applies to Israel. I want you to see the hard line things as it applies to your life and my life, like we preached on, you know, the laughter of God and things like that that kind of stir our hearts and, and get us back to focus of what we need to be doing. 
But that, there's a lot of practical things in it, and I, I, I don't want to miss any of it. And I don't care how long it takes. I don't care, you know, if it takes me six months to get through a chapter. We want to squeeze out of everything. Uh, you know, I'm the kind of guy... <laughs> I can have four brand new tubes of toothpaste down in the drawer below the, where my toothpaste is. I will crank that sucker and get every drop out of it. It's not because I'm frugal and don't want to open another pan of toothpaste. It's just the fact that whatever's in there is not going to elude me. I paid for it. I'm going to get it. <laughs> and I, I crank that sucker down and squeeze it out and twist it sideways and upside down. And I've even broken them in half because, you know, they're made of that cheap metal. Then what I do is pry them open and scoop it out and put it on my toothbrush, you know. I want to do that with the book of Proverbs. I, I want to get everything out of it we can. And uh, I, I think it'll help us. Now, last week, you remember, we finished... Uh, chapter 2 of the book of Proverbs. And, uh, and now we have uh, four character studies laid out for us. And these are vital. Not only vital to understand the book of Proverbs, but vital in your own life. We now have a wise man. We now have a foolish man. Uh, we now have an evil man. And now we have a strange woman. And it's easiest possible way to understand it and keep it in your mind and lay it out in your Bible, we now know that the evil man is the world system of ungodliness. The strange woman is his counterpart, the religious systems, the fake counterfeit religious systems of, of the world that not only affect lost people, but affect saved people in, in many churches. And we know now that the devil uses her uh, to get all of his worldly devices into Christianity. And we've talked about the two aspects that were in Israel's problem when the devil wanted to destroy them. It's the same with us. We talked a while back about how Israel got destroyed by the evil man and the strange woman. But uh, in, a, in a context, that's true. But we also then laid it out and I showed you how that the devil's plan was not just to go after the leaders of the nation. God's plan was to just go after the families. And when the devil got the Baal worship into the families, then it spread itself and infected itself into everything in Israel. And uh, the strength of any nation, the strength of any church, will only be as strong as the families that are in it. And that's why it's so important to, to, uh, to understand that. Our wise man uh, will be the child of God who gets the knowledge of God. And you, you start coming through Proverbs, you see all of these different aspects. Uh, the knowledge of God, the wisdom of God the understanding of God, the discretion of God. And the wise man will be the child of God who gets these things. He'll get the knowledge of God. He'll get the wisdom of God. He'll get the understanding of God. And then he gets the discretion of God to stay away from this woman and this evil man. And the Bible talks about when we do that, that we preserve ourselves, that God actually preserves us uh, in a state of preservation, that, that, that not only to you as a Christian, but it carries on into your own family. And in time, now that we know that the churches are built by families, we see it preserving the church. And if we would follow it all across the board, it's what for 200 years preserved our nation, which no longer has the preserving hand of God on it, as you well know. Now, we are, uh, we're set now for the rest of the book. We've laid out these four character studies. They're going to they're gonna weave their way through the rest of the book. You're going to see them come in and come out, and you're going to work in and out all through the book now. Now we know. We have something to work with. And now we, we're set for the rest of the book. And today we're going to start Proverbs chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 4. 
Now, let's read it together, and we probably won't get through all of this today and preaching on it, but uh, we, uh, we want to begin it today. He says this, My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments for length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck. Write them upon the tables of thine heart. So shalt thou found favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. Now, Father, we do thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We love you, and we just ask you, Father, to, uh, to give us the things that you have for us today. Lord, we know that your book is, is all truth, and we know that the book of Proverbs is the central book in the Bible from which all the other issues that are found through the Word of God weave their way back to. And what we've decided as a church, as a body of believers, as men and women who want that victory, we want the victory in Jesus. We, we want to have uh, that in our lives. We've decided to, as a church, to come to this book and to, to lay it out. Lord, we've built a lot of families. We've built a lot of couples. We've built a lot of individuals. I've seen your hand change marriages, change lives, change kids, change uh, adults, change moms and dads. And Lord, uh, it's a thing where when we, when we focus on those things, Lord, that, uh, that, that we really see uh, what God can do. So help us today. Help us to grasp these principles. We love you. We thank you. We look forward, Father, to not only learning them for ourselves, but then uh, in time taking them to others that we might help them find what we have. Uh, Lord, we just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. For sake we ask it. Amen. My father and the Lord, many years ago, Mel Sabaka, made a statement, made many statements, but I, I, I got a list of all of them. I never forgot them. But he, he made a statement, uh, and he had a way of making a statement about something that was so true and so pointed that you never forgot it. You know, we look at Christianity with all of the bells and the whistles that you have today and all the things that, that go on that uh, we think is really Christianity. But he had a way of summing up things in just a one-line sentence that, that was everything that it needed to be. And he said one time, he says, Christianity is just one beggar telling another beggar where to get bread. And boy, that is so true. And that is, that is our job. Our job is to let God change us. And then when God gives us the things in our lives, allow God through our lives to change others. And that's really what we are to do as a church and what we do as a church. And, and it's a thing where it's so, it's so true. Now, the first thing I want you to see here in verse, uh, th uh, chapter 3, verse 1 is, again, my son. This will be the fifth time that we find this phrase, my son. And I told you that a number of times through the book you find that phrase and, uh, uh, and, and we find it again today. And you remember our outline of the book of Proverbs. And I told you that Proverbs uh, is a, is, has three sections to it. The first section is chapter 1 through chapter 7. And every one of those chapters, and many times throughout those chapters, he actually starts it by saying, my son, my children. It's very pointed to he's writing to his own son. Uh, and yet in an inspirational application, it's God writing it to you and me as his son. And that's very important to see. Then I showed you that the second section is chapter 8 through chapter 30, and that deals with all the issues of life. This is where we really get into the Proverbs. We haven't gotten into the Proverbs yet. We've got, this is first seven chapters as an introduction of what you want to get out of it. The Proverbs themselves start in chapter 8 and run up through chapter 30. And then we come to the third section, which is chapter 31. And there we have the finished product, the virtuous woman. 
Now, I know you hear Mother's Day messages on the virtuous woman. I know you hear everybody talk about, well, my wife's a virtuous woman or this or that, and that's all good and fine and true, I'm sure. But uh, in particular, the virtuous woman, as we find it in Proverbs, is the church in an inspirational application. It's you and me. And when we get to that great chapter, we will, we will detail almost every aspect of what your ministry and my ministry should be once we have all the book of Proverbs uh, in our life. And by that time, many of you will be able to look back in your life and actually see how it worked. You'll actually see that what you have here and what you've been doing here has actually been this biblical process. So, you know, my goal is to, is to show you uh, in everything about the Bible, uh, my goal, one of my goals is to show you how easy books of the Bible are like the book of Proverbs. You look at the book of Proverbs or you get Ruckman's book uh, commentary back here, which is an excellent commentary. This sucker's that thick, you know. And you look at the book of Proverbs and it, it kind of winds its way through things and it talks about this and talks about that. And it, it can give the appearance of being a complicated book. Many books in the Bible uh, give that appearance. But uh, my job is to show you how... Uh, really easy uh, the book of Proverbs are if you just uh, look at a couple of things and, and remember a couple of things and use the natural helps that God has given. Hey, guys, God would not write a book called the Bible and give it to you and then tell you that he's going to judge you by it, by what you do out of it and what you can get out of it or what you don't get out of it, and he's going to hold you accountable someday for, like I said, what you could have found out I didn't, if he had wrote a book that nobody could understand. He wrote a book that any common man with a sixth-grade education or less could find out everything he needed to find out about God. The problem is today is we've made Christianity much more complicated than it really is. And I've learned over the years in my own personal time and just putting it together. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, no, I'm no genius by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, I always tell people if I can learn the Bible, anybody on planet Earth can learn the Bible. Because uh, it's a thing where, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's, for me, uh, everything of life can be a struggle when it comes to, you know, thinking. And if it wouldn't be for the Word of God, I'm not sure where I'd be today. But uh, uh, if you just follow and use the helps, that God has provided and do it God's way instead of trying to do it man's way. But this is what the evil man and the strange woman do. They try to take the simple Bible with the simple rules that you follow so you could get it and then get that out of your life and make it so complicated that, uh, you know, that you, you get defeated before you ever even get started. And the first thing that I, I tell you, you know, that I want you to remember is that uh, you see it in the book of Proverbs. I gave you an outline. I gave you... Three sections, chapter 1 through chapter 7, chapter 8 through chapter 30, and chapter 31. The book of Proverbs has an a, a, a outline. And every book in the Bible is the same way. Every book in the Bible will have a natural outline. Now, you can get over there in our bookstore and, and um, you know, you can get some great material. And I've seen guys that have divided books up for their own and they put it out that way. And I'm not arguing with that. But I will, and, I, and I've got just about every book over there, but I'm telling you this. Those are good and those will help you. But never take a book that man writes over the book that God wrote. And what you have to learn to do is understand that, you know, Larkin's outlines may be good. Ruckman's outlines may be good. Uh, those here are basically the Bible ones. But you're going to find that, that everybody has looks at a book and says, okay, let's break it down this way. And I understand what they're doing, and I'm not arguing with it. But what I am telling you is this. 
Every book of that Bible has a natural breakdown, a natural outline that God has put in there so that if you follow that outline, the book just falls into place. You'll never find that outline that I just gave you of Proverbs in any book you're ever going to find or read about Proverbs. You never will. But that but that's because it's not a man design. It's a natural breakdown of that book. And first thing you want to remember is every book in the Bible has that. Find the outline, get the outline down, and you're, that's a great place to start. The second thing that we use is the paragraph marks. I, I've told you before about this, and that's how we're studying the book of Proverbs, where you're going from paragraph mark to paragraph mark, because paragraph marks in the Bible are vital. They'll, they'll break the subject. Sometimes they'll break down the dispensations for you, but they're absolutely vital. And I've told you before that you don't find any paragraph marks after Acts chapter 20, and there's a reason for that. But up to that point, you have the whole Bible broken down by paragraph marks. When you study your Bible, pay attention to those paragraph marks. They'll tell you that you're changing subjects or changing uh, themes or changing subjects. It's an incredible way to follow it. And then another, the third thing that you want to always look at is look at the chapters themselves. Look how God does things. And this is what we want to talk about today. You want to see how God does things in the Bible, in chapter to chapter. And you want to see how that, you know, many of the things in the Bible is true in the book of Proverbs. It's simply this. God will say this. Bob, if you do one, two, three, four things, then I'm going to come back and I'm going to do one, two, three, four, five, six, seven things, or eight things, or nine things. The, the, the chapter by chapter in the Proverbs and throughout the Bible is God saying that, that if you do this, then I'll do this. And that's an incredible, I mean, that is a vital lesson to see and understand. I, I can't, I mean, it doesn't sound like much, but I can't tell you how important that is, uh, not only in the book of Proverbs, but in the, the scheme of life. For it's an it's a illustration of a great truth, and I've been telling you for years, and I, I, and, I, and I continue to tell you that. And it's simply this. God says, Bob, if you do these four or five things, then I'll come back and I'll do these six or seven or eight things. And the great principle illustrated here is that we, you and me, if you've got problems in your life today, if you've got things that you want to work through, if you've got someplace you want to get to in life, if you've got some things you want to get shed of and you've got some things that you want to get going for you, the first thing you need to understand is that you and I must first do the work. The work has to start with us. God says, you do this, then I'll do this. You see, once you and I start the work, then God supplies the help. You, and that's why I tell you all the time in dealing with people, you can't make people do what's right. I tell you all the time in working with people, don't want somebody to do right more than they do. Because when you do, and parents get into this terrible trap all the time with their kids, and that's why they wind up losing their kids. And it's a thing where you cannot want anybody to do right more than they do. Because real change in a person's life doesn't start with you or you or you. I could put 10,000 people with you and never change the thing about your life. Because the principle is here that you have to do some things first. And when you do, then God does his thing. It's an incredible concept. And it's all the way through, through the book of Proverbs. Uh, we saw it in chapter 1, we saw it in chapter 2, and now we see it again in chapter 3. You remember last week I told you about the, 
the illustration of when I worked many, many years ago at the Hoover Company in North Canton, Ohio. And I talked about that, you know, the big parts aisle where they had all the parts for the washing machine, the vacuum cleaners, probably two million parts. The thing was probably, you know, 200 yards long. It was, it was as wide probably as half as wide as this uh, room here and, and probably five times as long. And it started in the main center where the line was and then went up against the wall of the building. And I told you how that, you know, that one of my, uh, one of my days of, of frustration, uh, of everybody calling you on the phone wanting this, you can only do one thing at a time. I, I thought about the idea of, uh, I hated these parts so bad, and these things were always, I used to dream about them. And I thought to myself, the best way, wouldn't it be fun just to start and, and ripping down everything off the, off the shelves? I mean, you know, a thousand, 10,000 nuts go here and bolts go here and parts fall over here and the rotator over here and all the little rubber bands that go around here, 10,000 of them. And you just go down there ripping the whole thing off. And then finally, when you got back to the, and you were done and you were saying, man, that was great. That was the greatest time. And then it was time to go to lunch. You turned around, you saw the mess in that quarter that you had to, clean up before you could get out of that mess that you had made. And I told you that's a lot the way that life is with people. I mean, people today bury themselves in the issues of terribly bad choices. And those bad choices in time swaddle them up because they get to the point where, I mean, hey, it took me 15 minutes to put all that trash off those shelves on the floor. And I'm standing there so proud of myself. Well, look what I did. But you know what? Took, took take you four weeks to clean it up. It always takes you longer to fix something than it did for you to break it. It always takes some longer for you to fix something in your life than it took for what it, in your life wrong to go wrong. And when you let it go for years and years, this is why people commit suicide. God's people commit suicide. Unsaved people, you can understand why they commit suicide. I mean, they got nothing to look forward to. But God's people, I don't know how many times a year uh, God's people will take their own life. And you know why they do? Because they're at the end of that corridor. They made all the messes through terrible, bad choices. And now it overwhelms them. Now it swallows them up. And now they look at, I mean, you got to clean every piece up. You got to get every piece that you pulled, every bad decision, and it's compounding effect. And now your life after what, 10, 15, 20 years of drugs and drinking and fornicating and, and marriages and, and illegitimate children and all the things that go with it and all the debt that comes in and financial woe and all this stuff. It, you look down that quarter of life when you're up against that wall and you look back down life and you say to yourself, I'll never clean it up. And you get so despondent. It looks like there's no way out. So you know what you do? You commit suicide and you take what you think is the easy way out. That's the way it works. That's the way it always works. I told you that, that you and I, when we make the mess, we have to clean up the mess that we make in our lives. And this is why many people come to the point of no return, as I said last week they get to the point where they can't ever get back. It's not that God doesn't want them back. It's not that I don't want them back. It's not that you don't want them back. It's the fact that they have, uh, they have gotten themselves so far away from the things of God and spent so much time with the evil man and the strange woman and have complicated their life and literally pulled down everything in their life by a bad choice and put it in a corridor of life 
that now the cleanup is just impossible to them. They look at it and they say, where do I start? I've looked at, they've come into my office sometimes and laid it out and I didn't say it to them, but I was scratching my head on the inside and saying, where do I start? It can get the real BMS. And this is where people get to the point that they can't get out of it. It's not the fact that God won't get them out of it. It's not the fact that God doesn't want them out of it. It doesn't the fact that they don't want out of it. They're overwhelmed. They've got now the compounding effect of all the bad choices that they've made growing legs, and now a hundred bad choices have grown into a thousand bad choices. Because a bad choice is like a lie. One lie just leads to another. You know what's really hard being a liar? Remembering all your lies. You know what's really hard with bad choices? They compound themselves, and pretty soon you can't remember them. You forget. You're looking at what you're going with right now, and you forget that where you're at right now in the depth of that darkness all started way back here with just one bad choice. That's the way it works. Now, let me show you how the principle of Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 through 4 work. And you may be here today, and you may find yourself in that mess. Maybe not as bad as I, I laid it out here, but you find yourself in that. Maybe your corridor is nowhere near like that. But there's a lot of people, maybe not here today, but maybe it is, I don't know. But whatever, whatever mess you have in your corridor, let me show you how this principle works. Now, I'm going to walk you through a, a, a seven-step process. Now, it's not seven because it's divine from the Bible of God's number of seven. It's just I couldn't think of a number eight. <laughs> Once I decide, I'm going to put it in my own life now. Once I decide that I have made this mess in my life and nobody else has. Now, see, that's the first step. The first step of you ever fixing anything in your life is you taking personal responsibility and accountability for it. That's the first real step. That's the first step. As long as you and I blame our problems and our circumstances on everybody else, boy, parents love to do this with their kids. Oh, they do. I told it's just incredible what they do. And, and, and you find that their kids grow up doing the exactly same thing. Well, I'm not going to church because I don't like so-and-so. Well, you mean you like everybody where you work? You're on a, you go do this or you go do that. You like everybody there? Isn't it strange how we can go to work with people we don't like? We can go here and do this with people we don't like, but when it comes to church, see, people are just looking because they, they know that they've got a problem, but they want to blame it on somebody else because they don't want to take personal responsibility for it. And I'm telling you, when you decide or I decide that I'm going to clean up this mess in my life, the first thing that you have to get straight in your mind and your heart is it's your mess. You made it. Nobody else made you do it. I have had people all the time, over my, oh, my whole life, I've had parents or people or wives or husbands who say, well, it's the person my husband hangs out with or it's the person my son hangs out with. And I always tell them, you mean they came over and handcuffed and roped your husband and your son and threw them in the back of their car and took them and kidnapped them into a life of sin? Or was it the fact that he chose to go with them? See, it's your choice. It's always your choice. And what you choose is what you do, and what you do is where you wind up. And once you decide you have made uh, this mess and it's yours and it's, you take the personal responsibility and the personal accountability for it, then you decide 
The second thing, that I got to clean it up. It's my mess. You take personal responsibility for it and you say, you don't alibi anymore. You simply say, Bob, it's my mess. I did it. I understand it. And I must clean it up. And you come to the place in your life where you say, no matter what it takes or how long it takes. Now, for those people working with people, always be leery. This is a little people ministry spillover. I give them all the tricks and the trades of ins and outs of looking and dealing with people. But I'll spill a little over to you. When you start to work with somebody and you know they got problems and you start to lay out a plan that they need to do and they start putting conditions on the plan, you got problems. When somebody really takes responsibility for their problem, they don't care what you tell them to do. If I would say, go stand on your head in that corner for an hour and that's where we're going to start, that's what you'll do. Once a person who has problems says, I want help, and you try to help them and then they start correcting you on the help and telling you what they will and what they won't do, they don't want help. They've not yet come to the place where they have taken full responsibility for their mess. And at that point, you're wasting your time. I'm not saying you don't be their friend. Buy them a burger, you know. But, you know, you're not going to get anywhere in life with them trying to fix the problem. And uh, it, it's, it's, it, it's just not. And uh, when a person decides that it's my mess and I'm taking responsibility for it, then number two, they, 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 will, they will do whatever it takes no matter how long it takes because they'll understand that it's my mess. And when it's my mess, then I am responsible. And if it's really real, then they're going to do whatever they want to do. All right, number three. Now, you got a mess in your life. And you've decided it's your mess. And you decided you're going to do, clean it up. I commend you for that. And I've watched many of you do this exact same thing. In fact, I put this together this week thinking about so many of you of uh, watching what God has done in your life. And there's about four or five of you right now that are going through this process, and you're, you're, you're the poster child for it. Once I started to head the right way, the Bible calls it, we've seen it in Proverbs, the path of a bright, up, uprightness. See? Once I start to go that way and do it God's way, come to the end of self, that's number three. Now here's number four. This is where it starts to get better. God won't clean it up for me. God will not come down and say, well, he won't do with me as his child like a lot of parents do with their kids. Well, come on now. He's a good guy. Come on. She's a sweetie. Oh, you know. Well, let me fix this for you. How many times you've been in jail now? We'll bail you out just one more time. Oh, yeah, we're the helicopter of carrots. We're hovering over you. I've got a life vest. I've got rations. I've got cans of water. I've got a little flare pistol. You've got everything but what they need. You know what you need? Set a course and leave them in the water. Because when you get to that point in your life, you realize that God, with his children, he won't come down and rescue you from the mess. He ain't going to do that. You know, a lot of people get mad at God because he doesn't do that. It's like a guy said one time, we like to sow our wild oats and then go pray for crop failure. No, no. God is not going to come down and take your mess away. It's your mess. You got to clean it up. But you know what he will do? He'll throw you a shovel. 
That makes the cleanup a little easier. One time when I was in the Army, I got into some trouble, and uh, the drill sergeant, uh, this was in basic, the drill sergeant, and I'm sure many of you guys in the Army could relate to this, he made me clean the latrine, which was not a bad idea because it wasn't that big a latrine, but when he gave me a toothbrush, the job got out of proportion. Would you ever think about cleaning all the urinals and the stools with a toothbrush and then the floor? Now, you give me a mop and a scrub brush, I could have had that thing done in 20 minutes. But he gave me a toothbrush. You see, when you decide to do what's right to clean up the mess in your life, God's not going to give you a spoon. He'll give you a shovel. And that makes it a lot easier. Now, instead of picking the pieces up one at a time, you can shovel them up. Number five, as you continue his way and do well, then you know what he does? He's not going to come down and, and clean up the mess, but he'll give you the tools to clean it up, and now he'll give you a wheelbarrow. Now you can get some things done. Now instead of picking it up and carrying it over and dumping it, now you just put it in the wheelbarrow, and you can get a lot in there and dump it. Oh, it gets easier. It's still your mess, and you're still cleaning it up, but he's giving you the tools. He's giving you the tools. As I stay faithful to clean up my mess, and stay on that right path, and I every day I say, it's my mess, i got to clean it up, and I, God now is giving me a shovel, God now is giving me a wheelbarrow, and I'm staying on that thing, and I just, and I'm just keep uh, moving along those things. And then one day I come out to clean up the mess, and lo and behold, there's a backhoe and a dump truck out there. Now I really can pick up some stuff. You see, I'm making progress, and God is watching my progress. His, his job is not to make it harder. His job is to make it easier, but he's not going to come down and do it. When I take responsibility and I begin to do it, he's going to be the one who give me the tools. How many ever went to Bledsoe's? Nobody's ever went to Bledsoe's. Okay, well, okay, here we go. Thank you. You walk into Bledsoe's, and they got every tool you could ever want. You want to tear up your own, you want to knock down your own house, you can get a bulldozer. You want to dig a swimming pool hole, you can get a backhoe. You want to till your yard, you can get what you want. You want to do your shrubs, it's there. You want to cut your grass, it's there. You want a snowblower, it's there. You can get every tool that you ever thought to do the job at Bledsoe. But nobody at Bledsoe is going to come and do the work for you. Bledsoe's. I like that. He bled so you could hit the tools. That's how it works. He died on the cross for our mess. He's not going to go down and clean up the mess, but he bled so you can have the tools. And when you start going through it and doing what's right down that path, the tools get bigger. Now you're going out there and you, 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 you got a dump truck and a backhoe. And you go to climb up in that dump truck, and, and then uh, and here's number seven. Now, you get, in, you, get in, you get into that dump truck, and you start, and lo and hold, when you open that door, what do you find? You find somebody that God has put in your life. You find some Christian like so many of you men and women here who will get into that dump truck and you'll help that person at this point. Now you have come so far on your own. You've done all the work. God just supplied the tools. Now he gives you a dump truck and a driver for the dump truck. You know why? He has to put somebody in your life to die to drive the dump truck because they have been where you're at and they know the best dumps in town to dump their trash because that's where they dump theirs. You get everything you need. It's just that simple. It's just that simple. 
See how it works? When it comes to life and the messes that we get in, we need to do the work. We need to take responsibility for it. But God has all the tools from a shovel to a backhoe. He has all the tools that we need and you, do, and you do what's right. He gives you bigger and better tools to clean it up. But you and I have to do the work. He's not going to come down and do it for you. Now, this is what you see in chapter 3. I want you to look at this. Look at chapter 3 now. We saw it in chapter 2. We saw it in chapter 1. Four things you must do first. Got a mess in your life? Okay. You want to get your life where God wants it to be? Okay. God isn't going to just come down some night because you want to while you're sleeping, roll the roof back off your house and sprinkle you with pixie dust or some kind of spiritual wisdom from God. No, no, no. You've got to clean up, recognize the mess is yours, begin to clean it up, no matter whether it's a big mess or a little mess or whatever mess it is. But there's four things you've got to do first. Look what he says, verse 1. My son, forget not my law. At some point, you have to get into the Bible because the, the tools for you to clean up this mess is in that book you're holding in your lap right now. I don't know how many times I've seen people, God's people, go through some great trial in their life. Oh, they do. Somebody dies or this happens or this happens and the first thing they say, well, I can't go to church now. I'm touching the stress. The very place they had to go to get the peace and the solace and everything that they need is the very place they forsake. Doesn't speak much of their relationship with God and the Word of God, but you see it all the time. No, no. If you're going to clean up this mess and you're going to, the tool, the tool shed is in that book. You're going to have to get into the Bible. You're going to have to take the things of God in that book and you're going to have to put them in your life. You're going to have to get the law of God and you're going to have to stay there. Then the second thing he says in the same verse, in your heart you have to keep my commandments. You see, first you, you don't forget them. Then you got to, thy word have I hidden mine heart that I might not sin against thee. You got to do something with it. It doesn't do you any good to have the Bible if you're not going to apply the Bible to your heart. I mean, the Jehovah Witnesses read the Bible probably more than anybody in this room, and they're all dying and going to hell because they will not apply what they read. And having your Bible in the right Bible and all in a big Bible is great. But if you're not willing to take the Word of God first and then apply it to your heart second, you ain't going anywhere. And you see this all the time with people who have issues in their life. You try to work with them. You try to help them. You try to get them where it is. And I know there's a process it goes through. I understand all that. But there's things that you look for. And there's things that when you don't see them, you're wasting your time. And I don't mean that you don't try to help them. I just mean don't want them to do right more than they do. You better find another plan of attack because that one isn't working anymore. Then he says, number three, let not mercy forsake thee. Then he says, number four, let not truth forsake thee. See, you want to keep them in your heart, keep them in your life. Now, we'll talk about how a Christian loses mercy and how he loses truth next week. We're not going to get into that all today, but we'll talk about it next time we get into this thing. But he says in verse 3, to take mercy and truth and bind them about thy neck and write them on the tables of your heart. Wow. Now, these are the four, if you want to clean up the mess and you want to start and you want to take responsibility, and this is what you got to do. 
you have got to start with these four things. These things are the essentials in cleaning up your mess. All these deal with inward attitude change. Remember I told you about attitude and action? Whatever your attitude is on the inside will produce the action on the outside. When you get messed up, it's because you've been hanging out with the evil man and the strange woman and their cohorts. You got a bad attitude about God, about church, about God's people, about the Word of God, and it produces the bad attitude, and now you're back out into the world. You want to change that? You want to get back? You want to do what God wants you to do and be what God wants you to be? It starts with your attitude. Attitude starts with you taking responsibility, quit blaming everybody else, and then doing inwardly these four things. <clears throat> I told the people <clears throat> last time, <clears throat> which was a couple weeks ago in the people ministry, and I'll give you this, I don't let them talk about what goes on because we talk about a lot of personal things in there, but some of it, when it goes where we're at, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what I told them. I said, you know, I said, When God changes somebody, because people will fake, fake it. They really will. People will try to fool you. Now, when you get a little farther along in the Word of God, you can read the signs of a fake pretty quickly. I mean, pretty much out of the gate. There are certain things that you look for in a real person's change. And when you don't see them, doesn't mean you go up and say you're a phony. You just let it play itself out, but you don't get yourself so involved in it because uh, this is what you call uh, discretion and discernment. And you'll get there in time. But I, I told the people in the people ministry last time we were together, I said, you know what? When God changes somebody, the attitude change is immediate. Uh, people, will, people will fool you. People will fake it. People will tell you what you want to hear to get you off their back. But when you're dealing with somebody like that, I never listen to what the person say. I always kind of push that aside and look down into the attitude because when God is really changing somebody... The attitude change when God is in it is immediate. It isn't, well, you know, I'm thinking about it, Bob. Well, you know, I'm going to, yeah, I need to get back to church. I know you're right, and I'm not where I need to be. No, 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 no. No, it isn't, well, yeah, I'm coming, and then you don't come. It is the fact that, well, yeah, I know I got problems, but I just know. No, 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 no. When God is in it, and it's really of the Holy Ghost, and God is doing what he's doing, the attitude change is right now. It's immediate. I'm wrong. It's my problem. I got to fix it. I'm not saying that people don't go through a process to get there. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying, don't pop the champagne cork just yet. Because real change in a person's life in an attitude inward is immediate. They may not have the action fixed yet. They may still struggle with their issues and their problems but their inner man, inner woman is going to be immediate that they now want to do what's right and they're going to, in, in spite of their problem, they're going to be at church. In spite of their problem, they're going to be at Thursday night. In spite of their problem, they're going to get into discipleship. In spite of their problems, they're going to get what they need because they now know it's their fault, they've got to clean it up, and they know they need tools to do it. When you don't see that, you're wasting your time this is a fundamental aspect of repentance. Change of direction based on change of attitude. 
When we talk about repenting, we're talking about turning from something. Turning from something without turning to something is a waste of time. Repentance is a two-edged sword. Yes, you have to turn from something, but you have to turn to something. And when they just turn from something and don't turn to nothing, it's a game. It's a game. I'm not saying that they don't work through things. People work through things. You know, we all work with people. We know they do. I'm talking to you in a fundamental aspect. People will drag out your world, bring stress and heartache into your life. They will drag you out and drag you down, and the devil uses it. So not only do they not do anything for God, you get out of church. You get out of Bible study. You get out of ministry. And now the devil... Never had any plans for them coming back, but because you could not deal with it biblically, you're out of the ball game too. Now look at our text again. When you do these four things and change your attitude, that in our text, God does seven things. Back to you. Oh, I got to stop here and tell you about this great principle. This is what I love God so much. This is what I love about God. Whatever God asks me to do, four things, and I do them, get this now. If you don't get anything else, get this. God always gives back more to you than you ask, he asks from you. See that thing? You give four, he gives seven. You know why he does that? To encourage you. He knows you're in a mess. He knows you're struggling. <clears throat> He knows that even though you're trying to do what's right, you're going to have downtime and bad times and the devil's going to come after you. You're going to start second-guessing yourself. He knows that. So he knows because he's a good father that when you are on the right path and you start doing these things right and you give him the four things he asked, he gives you seven back. He'll always give you more than you give him. I love him for that. Now let's look at these. First thing here is Length of days. Now, this is not living a long life or a long time. But once you get to the place in your life <clears throat> that you, be, you, you get your mess cleaned up, you go through that process and you get now to the point where those four things are in your life, and we'll talk about all of that in detail next time. Then God gives you seven things back. The first one is length of days. Now, this is a life filled with, with joy, a life filled with happiness, of seeing the fullness of your relationship with God, to see God, how he uses you and your wife and your kids, your son, your daughter, your son-in-law, your daughter-in-law in ministry side by side. Man, what more could a, what more could a guy ask for? You know, we put the emphasis on all the wrong things in life today. There, I'm going to tell you right now, there is no greater joy or blessing for you young parents on this planet. There is no greater joy or fulfillment and no length of days getting out of your life everything there is that you to get to the point in your life where you're that unbroken chain and your family is by your side ministering the Word of God and you're there doing it together. You know, it's a lot like you, you see it in the world. 
Some guy will have his house burned down, you know, it'll burn to the ground, and he's got his wife and three little kids there, and the Channel 9 on Channel 5 comes up, and the house is smoldering in the background, lost every picture, lost every clothes, don't have anything but what's on their back, had lost their car, the dog got killed, the cat got burned up, the canary got roasted, everything died in there, they lost everything. And they're standing in front of that smoldering house, and they're standing there with Channel 9 cameras and the thing going, and a guy says, how you doing? How you doing? And he looks into that camera, and he says, we lost everything, but I still got my family. You fool. He didn't care about the house. He didn't care about the car. He didn't care about anything. The blessing for him and the fullness of him, he lost all that. That can be replaced. His family can't. Just like I got some good news and bad news. What's the bad news? The transmission just went out of your car. <laughs> What's the good news? You just inherited $100 million. Well, then who cares about the transmission? When your family's online with you, the greatest blessing you can have, you young couples, the greatest blessing you can have is your kids by your side, and when you have that in your life, there isn't much other problems in life going to get you. Who cares if the house burned down? Who cares if the transmission goes out? You got $100 million right standing by you. The joy and the blessings of the length of days. Getting the most out of your days on earth for God. My taking responsibility. It starts with you taking responsibility, me taking responsibility. And then realizing that in life, I'm just telling you, my response, I don't have any responsibility for getting anybody saved in this church. Nobody. Except her, her, her. I'm guaranteed that. You, I'm not sure of. You, you're iffy. You're preaching tonight. You better be. Norbert and Sandy couldn't cook that good and be lost. But I'm not responsible for you guys. I'm not. I'm not responsible for any of you. I'm responsible to give you the truth. I have no guarantee with any of you. I believe you're saved. You're part of my ministry, and I love you to death. But bottom line, end of day, I don't have, it's not my responsibility. I preach the truth. God gets you saved. I'm glad. I have no guarantee with you. The only guarantees I have is that one, that one, and that one. For sure. And then I have a guarantee that, that, that you do what's right with yours, you do what's right with yours, you do what's right with me. <laughs> Why did I ever go there? <clears throat> Boy, sometimes you get caught up in the Spirit of God, you can say some really things you're going to regret later. I ain't kidding you. <laughs> Length of days. Looking back in your life, I hope to get to the point in my life, I don't know when I'll die, but I'm hoping to get to the place in my life if I die tomorrow, if I die 10 years from now, if I die 20 years from now, on that deathbed boy, I'm not going to be worrying about what this, about that. I'm going to look back and I'm going to thank God for the length of days. I'm going to thank God that when I go off the scene, I got a family that is going to carry the Word of God on, take that Word of God out, and I don't have to blink twice about it. This church will go on, the ministry will go on, everything will go on. That unbroken chain and line of ministry. That should be the goal for your young kids. Then he says, number two, long life. Ah, this is a little different one. Now, this promises for a full life, a long life to serve the Lord. 
You see, the promise is not only to your family and the preserving of your family, but it's to you personally. And there's many examples of this in the Bible. The Bible says that Moses was 120 years old, and yet his natural strength was not abated. That's hard to believe. Joshua was 110 when he died. I think all of them, the greatest example, and I love to preach on Caleb. Caleb is one of my favorite guys in the Bible. He's 85 years old, and the last time you see him in Joshua chapter 14, verse 11, he's going up that mountain with a sword in his hand to kick the snot out of the guys that's got his promised land up there. 85 years old. No Alzheimer's. No cancer. I mean, if he was Alzheimer's, he'd never find his inheritance. He'd be wandering around forever. 85 years old, and he's going, he's going by himself. There's probably two or 3,000 of them up there. He wasn't concerned. You know why? Because him and God made up the majority. That's why. It comes down to your long life, and you've got to realize, kids, that God's only given you one body to serve him with, and when you destroy it with drugs and alcohol and all the things that the world has, it takes years off your life. And drugs and alcohol and booze aren't the only thing. I mean, you eat wrong, you get diabetes by the time you're 50. You smoke cigarettes, you get lung cancer by the time you're 60. There's things that you put in your body that God never intended, or you don't eat right and don't do the right things and don't take care of your physical body. You know what? God, you come up short on the end. God gave you, you do your job of taking care of this temple. God does his job of taking care of what's on the inside. I hear Baptist preachers, I've watched them all my life. They get up there and they preach on this, they preach on that, they preach on that, preach on this, preach on that, preach on that. They haven't seen their toes in 30 years. <laughs> they got no reason to preach on anything. Number three. Verse four, obtain favor in the sight of man. I think this is a great one. I think this is absolutely one of the best ones in here. And it's simply your reputation with people based on your walk with God. We see this down at Turn Around and Restart. I told you we would. We went down there and we asked nothing and did everything. And now they have looked at us, especially turnaround. We've been there a shorter time than we've been to the other place. And turnaround already have contacted us and want us to be the teachers for all their mentors. Right now, Bob putting together a list of men who are going to go down there and teach life principles. Is that what it is, Bob? That's unheard of. You know why they do that? You know why Restart keeps sending us stuff and, and, and telling us how much they love us and appreciate us. You know why? It isn't because of just what we do for them. It's because what they see in you is real. You're real. There, nobody would think much of you as a preacher. You wouldn't look like you'd be a pastor. You're quiet. You don't say much, unassuming. In fact, I'm talking to you right now just to keep you awake. <laughs> Old Darren tore him up down there the other night. Had him down there preaching to the mentors. Had a room full of guys and gals that trying to turn their life around, and, and they asked him. I didn't send him down, did I? They ask you. You know why they ask you? Because they see the labor he puts in that down there. 
He goes down and picks those guys up down on the river, goes down and picks up here, brings them to church, goes down and brings them here, goes down and brings them that, spends time with them. They see that. They want guys down there that are going to they're do what they're, what they're going to do. He gets down there, he relates to them. He gets down there, he talks to them. He, they, they want to hear what he's got to say. You know why? Because they just not word to them. He sees what they did. They called me this week. I couldn't do it because Gene's going to be here. And I told him, I said, I'll be glad to do it. They called me out of the clear blue sky. They have, I don't know how many people to support that down there financially. They're having a big thank you get together for all the people that support it financially. And they wanted me to speak to them. And I'm thinking to myself, what, what, about what? And they just said, you just talked to about what, what mentoring is and, and what this place means to you and what you guys have done down here, da 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 and let them see what's really going on. Hey, why? You've got 40 other, you've got what, 200 other mentors out there. You know why they pick this church? Because they see you care. They see it's real with you. They see you going down there this afternoon and sorting out their clothes so they don't have to, ladies that don't have to come in on Monday morning uh, and they can get to their job and you get to work for them. They see that. Richard stands down there, watches you guys work. He's amazed. He sees you guys doing this. He sees Darren. He sees John Buschetti. He sees Bob Gregg. He sees Steve Brackeen. He sees these guys down here and, and they're working with these guys and these guys responding to them. And now they come to us. In what? Less than a year? Now they come to us and they say, we want you, your men and your women, you. We want you guys. And yes, we're going to have women teach those guys down there with those girls. We're going to let them see what this church is all about. You know why they want that? You know why they want you? Because they see in your life that it's real. There's no greater testimony than that. Do people seek you out when they want wisdom from you or do they seek you out when they want to hear what the latest gossip is? See how it works? I mean, do people seek you out because they, they know that you have the answers from God? It says, obtain favor in the sight of man. People will seek you out because they see God in your life, in your family, in your marriage. This is why shall I preach so hard on principles in the family. Christian families are supposed to be different than unsaved families. Hey, the greatest witness that we have as a church it's not the Bible we carry, but it's your life and your family in a world where everything is totally in a mess and broken down. People want something that's real. They don't listen to what you say. They don't listen to what you tell them. They look beyond that and look to see if what you live lines up with what you say. I've had people, I think this is probably the greatest single compliment that I could ever give some of you guys and gals. We have people come into this church and I work with them and help them and, and, and bring them to a point. And sometimes they get saved. Sometimes they, they, they're already saved. They just have to get some things down and they'll come over to my house and I'll talk about getting them into the next level. And you know what they'll do? It's happened a hundred times. You know what they'll do? I'll say, well, you need to be discipled and let me, let me think about somebody that I can put into your life. And they'll say, how about so-and-so? Can he do it? Is she available? They've watched your life. I don't know of a greater compliment in the world than somebody looking at your life, seeing the difference, and then when they got problems and they want to learn, you're the one they want to learn from. Favor with man. I'm telling you. They watch your life. They see how you handle circumstances. None of you are perfect, and you all do some stupid things. I do stupid things. But the consistency is there. 
They seek you for advice. They look at you. They see you. They know that you have a relationship with God, and they want that. Oh, I, I can't think of a greater compliment than that in a Christian's life. That was a great thing to have them ask for our guys to come down there and speak. It was a great thing for them to open up their doors and say, you know what? We want you guys to come down. Hey, you're in charge. It's your group. Yeah, but we want you guys to come down and teach life principles to these people. Why? Because we see them in you. Boy, just think what we could get done if we were a real church. (laughs) Number four, obtain good understanding in the sight of man. Now, one was favor. This is understanding. That means you understand people, human nature. You understand the old nature. You understand why people do the things that they do, act the way they act, and say the things they say. See, because you've understood yourself. You know where it starts with you. When you deal with somebody, you give them solid biblical advice. You give them sound doctrine because you have a sound mind, because you have a sound walk, because you have a sound lifestyle. And when you deal with somebody, you give them solid biblical advice. They're not just saying it, but actually living it. See, you've got an understanding. You grasp the biblical principles, but along with that, you also have discretion, the ability to apply the principles because you have a good understanding of the problem, the cause and the effect. You've had done it in your own life first, then you did it in your family second, and then now you do it to others. And the order of that is absolutely vital. Honestly, across Christianity today, Many of God's people simply have no credibility when it comes to dealing with people. They really don't. They have no victory in their own life. And by victory, I mean they don't have the ability to live above the circumstances. Everything that comes into their life just messes them up. They've got so many compounding problems and so many different other areas, it's unbelievable. Obtain good understanding in the sight of man. Then the fifth one, verse 4 also. Obtain favor in the sight of God. Now, this is a great one. But yet, I'll tell you before I get into this one, I can't think of anything that will get you in more trouble with people than this one. People will get real jealous when God has his hand on your life and not on theirs. And that's what this one is. Obtain favor in the sight of God, God's hand in your life, God's hand in the life of your family, God's hand in the life of your kids because you've done what's right. Oh, I'm not saying there isn't some rough times. I'm not saying there isn't times you've got to kick them through the goalposts of life. I'm not saying there's not time that you've got to, but what I am saying is on the overall concept, you stayed with the biblical principles. And I'll tell you, you know, the Bible's filled with, with great stories of men who had favor with God. You want some great studies for application to your own life? Boy, there's, Abraham's a great one. Genesis chapter 24, verse 6. I mean, God singled him out to be the father of many nations. God singled him out to be the very beginning of the nation of Israel. Until this day, they called him Father Abraham. You see, it was a great thing. God had his hand, uh, he had favor, had great favor in the sight of God. But Ishmael didn't like it, did he? See? Every time you get God's favor in your life, there are going to be people out there that don't like it. They don't like it or they don't have it. So the thing that they do is they start dragging you down so you don't look so good and because of the fact that they look terrible. And you see it all the time. It's the way it works. You got Jacob, Genesis chapter 32, verse 28. 
And uh, he's, he's a, you know, here's a guy that God takes through his life and through a process and has to get some things done with him, like many of you and myself included. And yet, out of that thing, it comes the 12 tribes. But Esau didn't like it. Esau develops into the Edomites to become Israel's enemies all down through there. In fact, God wrote a book, Obadiah, against one group of people, the Edomites from Ishmael. You go back to Abraham, Ishmael, uh, Ishmael, uh, uh, Edomites from uh, Esau, excuse me. Uh, go back to Abraham, Ishmael, that's where the Muslims come from. They trace themselves back. You know what the Muslims are upset with the Jews about? Simple, real easy. They don't like the fact that God's hand of favor was on Abraham and his seed and not Esau and his seed, or uh, excuse me, Ishmael and his seed. So you know what they do today? They take all the promises that were given to Abraham and Isaac and they stick them on Ishmael and his crowd with the Muslims. They cannot stand the fact that God give them favor, not them. And in your Christian life, when God puts his hand on your life and you start to do great things for God, let me tell you something. There are going to be some of God's people not happy about it. I guarantee you. Guarantee you. Guarantee you. It's the way it goes. Jesus himself. Luke chapter 2, verse 52. It says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature, and in favor with God and man. But the scribes and the Pharisees didn't like it. See? I think one of the greatest examples that's got a lot of detail to it is the story of Joseph. And you know the story of Joseph when he got his coat of many colors from his father. Now, that's a great story. That coat of many colors is a picture that God was favoring him over the other boys. That coat of many colors was, uh, was uh, probably a lambskin, goatskin, leather coat. Uh, that uh, with all kinds of colors into it, probably made by Calvin Klein or one of those great guys, you know. And, and he God said, Garrett, this is yours. This is your special to me. I want to give you this. He put it on and walked out, and all the other boys were saying, where'd you get that at, Jake? And they said, well, you know what? It's a thing where uh, my daddy gave me this. We didn't give me one. I don't know. He just gave it to me. I had a little box all wrapped up, said he loved me and he wanted me to have this. And, you know, he hugged me and kissed me. I, I don't know. He probably got yours inside. All those boys one at a time went in, just stood around waiting for their coat. Didn't get one. They didn't like it. They didn't like it. But God had his hand on it. And God had, he had favor with God. And when everything else came to pass and it all fell apart, let me tell you something. It's a thing where uh, it, it, Joseph was with God and God got him through. It's simple. When you do those four things and bring them into your family and into your life and into your personal life, then God preserves you and puts his hand on you. You'll be some rough times, yes. You'll have some tough times, absolutely. It ain't going to be a bullet cherries. You'll have to be in and out. But he will be your shelter in a time of storm. We all know the story, the kid's story of King Midas. He's the guy that was the king that wanted to wish that he could have it. He loved gold and whatever he wanted to touch, he turned to gold. So he got that wish, and he touched the piano, turned to gold. He touched everything, turned to gold. But then he found out he couldn't eat anything, because we picked it up and turned to gold. He had a problem. Now, that's a lame picture of what the Bible says your life ought to be like. You ought to have the Midas touch as a Christian. Bible says that uh, uh, in Psalms chapter 1, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight shall be in the law of the Lord, and if the law doth he meditate day and night. And here it comes. And he shall be like a tree planted by the river of waters that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf shall not wither, and whatsoever he touches shall prosper. There it is. Now for you and for me, touching everything turns to gold is a good thing. You know why? That gold is going to wind up at the judgment seat of Christ. It's a good thing. 
Favor with God. Favor with God. Now, the next thing he says down here is number six. This is the sixth thing. Obtain good understanding, good understanding in the sight of God. Now, this is to understand God. It would be hard for us to sit here and talk about we as mortal beings being able to understand a holy, infinite God. But yet the Bible does tell us in 1 Corinthians 2.14 and Philippians 2.5 that we do have the mind of Christ. Knowing what God thinks about things, knowing what God will, how God will do things, being able to tell when God is in something or when he's not, using discernment or discretion, that's absolutely invaluable. Also, almost completely non-existent today in most Christians' lives. Learning the patterns of God, being able to take those patterns and see when this pattern doesn't line up with that pattern. Taking the models that God gives you and then see how the models work down through life. There's models of everything. There's a model of the New Testament church. There's a model for a Christian. There's a model for a marriage. There's a model for everything in the Bible. And that model shows you what God thinks about it and how God would handle it. And then the principles. So you learn the patterns, you learn the models, you learn the principles, and you'll find quite a bit about God. God has certain character traits that when we understand them and realize that they are there and these things are there that we need them in our lives to build our lives that make us like Him. There are certain things that we want to put in our lives. In fact, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5 tells us that there's seven things that after we get saved we should add to our faith. So when you get saved, you exercise faith, get saved by grace, get saved by faith. Then after you're saved, 2 Peter 1.5 says, now add these seven things to it. And they're a process. But there are seven characteristics of God. The first one is virtue. Most of God's people don't even know what virtue is. Virtue is. There's knowledge. There's temperance. There's patience. There's godliness. There's brotherly kindness. There's charity. You're going to find, and you hear me talk about all the time, about the compounding effect. There's two compounding effects in the Bible. When you make bad choices and do dumb things and get things into your life with the evil man and the evil woman, those things in a bad way compound in your life. But there's another compounding effect, and that's when you do the right thing. When you do the right thing and you do four, God does seven, you do five, God does eight, and however the thing works out, when you start doing what's right with your life, you know what God does? He starts compounding the good things in your life. Our life is going to have a compounding effect about everything we do. The only thing you've got to ask yourself is it on the negative side or the positive side? Are you compounding your life in a negative way or are you compounding your life in a positive way? That's all. That's all it is. That's all it is. And then the seventh thing, the last one here. He says obtain peace in your life. I, uh, you know, I, uh, this is what real Christianity should be. You talk about the real deal. It's what it ought to be. But I got to tell you, God's people today are emotional basket cases. They really are. Amen. They're just a mess. I mean, uh, uh, they are. <clears throat> and it's all because they have forsaken what we preached about today. I mean, uh, they, 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 they have tremendous, God's people are under tremendous stress. You know, uh, last week, we talked about the, you know, in the news, it was the big shutdown of the government. It had been shut down for 17 days, and we're coming to the deficit, you know. We're going to go over the physical cliff, you know, and where everything was going to shut down. And uh, they, were, they were just fear-mongering every place, you know. The 401Ks were going to go out the window. Uh, they, you know, the government was going to shut down. The old folks aren't going to get their checks, you know, and the veterans aren't going to get paid, and all this is going to happen. All that just to 
because they got an agenda they want to keep. And I listened to that stuff and listened to that. And all week long, I heard guys, we walk around the truck together at the thing. What are we going to do? What are you going to do? What do you think? I just keep my mouth shut because I don't want to get thrown out of the place. And I just, I just, what are we going to do? What do you think? Boy, this is terrible. I don't want well, I don't want this. My 4OK in the tank. Well, this or that. You know, I lost $15,000 last, last this and all that. And I thought to myself, really, really, what does any of that have to do with anything if you have favor with God? You think that your favor with God has anything to do with you, 401K? Do you really? Did you think your favor with God and the peace that you get from God has anything to do with how much money you got in the bank? Do you really? Do you think that, that your security and your peace that, that you have and, 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 and the favor you have with God, you really think that the world situation of whether the government shuts down or keeps on going? Somebody said, what do you think about the government shut down last week? I said, I think the government shut down about 40 years ago. What was your point? Those things mean nothing if you have the favor of God. You think those boys that we talked about in the Bible didn't go through some tough times? You see how Jacob and all them went through the famines of Israel, Egypt? Did God not provide for them? God, God provides everything for us. It's the fact is that we're so busy providing for ourselves. We're so busy hanging out with that evil man and that strange woman. We put all of our trust in the things of this world. And when the things of this world go up in smoke, then you're lost. I don't care about them. They didn't have it all. They didn't have it all. Obtain peace in your life. God's people today are just, I mean, it, all the emotional problems, all the physical problems, all the spiritual problems. I'm telling you, the two of the greatest verses on this are two of the greatest promises in all the Bible for you and me. First one is Isaiah 26, 3, Thou will keep him in perfect peace, but notice the condition, whose mind is stayed on thee. You got your mind someplace else. And that's my favorite verse, Thou will keep him in perfect peace. Yeah, how come I'm not in perfect peace? Because your mind's not stayed on him. That's why. Because he trusteth in thee. Philippians 4, 7, And the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You know, there's two kinds of peace in the Bible. The first time you kind of, the first peace you find is over there in Romans 5, 1, and it says, peace with God. When you find a peace with God in the Bible, that's your salvation. The day you got saved, you made peace with God. The Bible says you were reconciled to God. The Bible says that Jesus Christ was the propitiation for your sin. Bible says that when you got saved, when you got saved, you made peace with God. That's the day you got saved, Romans 5.1. But Philippians 4.7 here says, and the peace of God. That's different. Where the peace with God is the day you got saved, after you're saved, you have the peace of God. God supplying you with the peace to get you through everything in life. Peace that God gives you when you have favor with him because you favor him. We talked about Thursday night. I told you God has called us to peace, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And there should be peace in your family. There should be peace in your marriage. There should be peace in all that you do. Romans 12, 18 says, If it be possible, as much as lieth within you, live peaceful with all men. Now, you know, the truth of the matter is, sometimes you can't do that. I'll show you how this thing works. Sometimes you can't do that. There have been times in my life that, that uh, I wanted to make peace with somebody or be peaceful with somebody, and they don't want it. And, uh, and sometimes you can't do that. And there'll be times in your life, in your ministry, in your family, when turmoil and controversy comes up over, uh, over something that you did. 
uh, when it's the right thing. Uh, many times, uh, you know, I've seen people in our church that had to take a, had to take a stand uh, for something in their family and got crucified for it. But it was the right stand. I've seen it all my life in ministry. There's things that I've had to take stands on and things that, that you'll have to take stands on. And there's things where you just have to clear up a spot and you say, on these principles we stand. And you know what? We always second guess ourselves as Christians. I had a girl call me this week, just one of the sweetest kids, and I love her to death. And she's a right part of my life and I love her very much. But, but just like many Christians that are coming up in that intermediate stage. She found herself in a situation with a family member where she, she, had, she had witnessed on two occasions. And this is what happened. This is what happened. She calls me on the phone. She's crying. And she's crying on the phone, and I'm, and I'm talking with her, you know, and, and she's telling me the situation. She says, you know what? She says, I don't think, I, I don't think my, 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 my dad is saved, and I don't think he's going to make it, and I don't think this, and I don't think that. And she says, I, I, she says I'm just really upset. And, and I said, well, and she says, and I witnessed to him two times. And I said, well, honey, I said, what's the problem? And she says, what if I didn't do it right? What if I didn't let something out? What if I, did, what if I left something out? What if I didn't say it? Hey, let me tell you something. We can always look back in every circumstance of life and second-guess ourselves. I don't know of a situation I ever dealt with in life that I couldn't look back and say, could I have done that differently? It's not a matter whether you could have done it differently or not. You know what matters? You did at that point what God called you to do and gave you the situation to do it, and you did what he told you to do. End it. There's the peace. There's the peace. And you're going to find yourself in situations where you have to make some hard calls. And not everybody, not everybody is, going to, is going to do it. You know I don't like Facebook. You didn't know that? I think, honestly, there's a real dark side to the social media. But you watch Facebook sometimes. You just watch it. You'll get somebody. You're on Facebook, aren't you, Darren? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> You watch it. You watch it. Now, I'm not arguing. If you're on it, God bless you. I love you to death. I do. But I'm telling you, there's a dark side to that thing. You watch how it works. People will get on there. Why would somebody get on Facebook and lay out the stupidest, dumbest things they've done for all the world to see? Did you ever ask yourself that? Somebody gets on there and says, well, I got drunk and arrested and got four DWIs last night. Like he's proud of it. Somebody else says, well, I beat my wife and I'm in jail now, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm here I am. If I had done that, I wouldn't tell anybody. Somebody gets on there and says, well, you know, I, I, uh, you know, I, I, I haven't been to church for a while and I don't, my church has got snobby people in it and I don't like them, you know, and there's things like that. Why would you say, you know why they do that? I'm going to tell you why. You just watch. 15 minutes later, there'll be 20 people that are going to say, yeah, I agree with you. They're looking for support. They're looking for somebody else who's got as much trash and problems in their life to get on board with them so they don't feel so bad about where they're at. That's not peace. And there'll be times in your life when you've got to make a hard call. There'll be times in your life when you've got to make a hard decision. And everybody will be against you. But you know where the peace comes in? You try to live peacefully with all men. But when you can't, you know where the peace comes in? Even in situations like that, when you make the right call, when you know it was a call based on the biblical principle, you did what's right, doesn't matter if the whole world doesn't like it, you have peace with God because you did what God's book told you to do. You know how many Christians cannot get there? Brother, if I know the call's right and I know the call's based on the book and I know it was the right thing to do based on what Jesus would do, you would have to put the whole world against me and say, I don't like it. I could care less. You know why? I'll take peace in the fact that I don't get my peace satisfaction from you. I get it from doing what the book tells me to do, whether you like it or whether you don't. 
Now that's peace. And that comes. That comes. That comes from you having the favor with God and you understanding the principles of God and you realize that at the very best you can, you make peace. But when you can't make peace, it's impossible. You take rest in the pact and you take peace in the fact that you did what the Bible told you to do. It may be the most controversial time in your life. It may be turmoil. All your family, all your friends may be upset with you. But you know what? If you did it biblically and you did the right thing and that's what was called for, then you take peace in that. But you see, we care so much today more about what people think about us than what God thinks about us. We just can't get on with my friends being part of this. Well, I was with these people for 20 years, 30 years. What am I going to do? You know what I do? I just stick with the book and God. How's that work for you? People are going to come and people are going to go. People are going to be your friends for 20 years and then dump you for the rest of your life. People are going to be with you for five years and then dump you. People are never going to treat you fair. Make sure you treat them as fair as you can. And at the end of the day, don't worry about it because you've got a book and a God that will always treat you fair. Find the favor of God, not the favor of man. Now, this is a great practical message for all of us. Understanding the actual process of cleaning up the messes in our lives. Understanding that we must begin the work. And the work begins with an attitude change. Taking responsibility and being accountable to something or somebody and saying, no more, well, somebody made me do this. Well, it's your fault. You didn't do this right. You didn't do that right. No, no, no. End of the day, no matter what your situation is, it's still your choice. And when you begin to do those four essentials, my son, forget not thy law, and in your heart begin to keep his commandments, and you let not mercy and then let not truth depart from you, you bind them around your heart and around your neck, then God goes to work and puts the things in your life to build you and clean up the mess. Remember, two compounding effects in your life. There'll be the compounding effect of your bad choices that you bring into your life. The evil man and the strange woman pile it on. They'll bring in other evil men and other strange women. Before you know, you didn't take one bad choice. You made a hundred bad choices. And those hundred bad choices grow legs to become a thousand bad choices. Those thousand bad choices over the course of time grow legs and they become 10,000 bad choices. And you're swallowed up and you're done. You make the right choice and you put the Word of God in your life and you do what God wants you to do. You start making the right decisions. You start doing what God asks you to do. God compounds it back to you. He gives you more. The more good decisions you make, God takes those, compounds it, and they get over legs and they get into better things. God puts people in your life. He puts this in your life. He gives you that. You get favor with God. You get favor with man. You get the peace of God. And in both cases, you grow to the place where now nothing can stop you for God. Hey, it comes down to what I said early on. Either you're going to serve the evil man or the strange woman or you're going to serve God. There isn't no middle ground with this. And your life will be a direct result, whether you're saved or whether you're lost. Your life today is a direct result. You just look in the mirror and say, okay, this is my life. Look at this, look at that, look at this, look at that. Boy, it doesn't make long to find out what side I'm on. But you can change that. Anytime you want to. I can't change it for you. Nobody in this room can change it for you. God can't even change it for you until you yourself want to change it. Every head bowed, every eye closed.